0: your business, our business, business of everybody listening. You know, anywhere from ten to three or four hundred folks that are helping solve problems for customers that have superpowers or strengths that are very different than what you expect. So encouraging your leadership team and putting a structure and systems in place to identify those and and put people in positions to leverage those while serving your customer
1: Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. We talk a lot on this show about shiny manufacturing technology and digital marketing and sales strategy, but sometimes the keys to success in our businesses are simple fundamental things like listening, listening to our employees, listening to our teammates, listening to our customers. Today, I'm talking with someone who has taken this concept to heart. So let me take a moment to introduce our guest. Joe Molesky has enjoyed a career working inside mid-sized manufacturers. From listening to the family stories on the Iron Range in Minnesota, to following his dad around a printing company in Seattle, Washington, Joe has always wanted to know more about not only how we make things, but why people feel the way they do about the company that they work for. Joe has spent time in varied roles throughout his career, continuous improvement director, business development manager, production supervisor, and VP of operations. Now leading operations at Multisource Manufacturing, LLC, Joe brings an intense focus to organizational change, rapid performance improvement, all within a system that ensures that each team member both knows and applies their natural strengths to their job each and every day. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, Joe, when you and I talked a few weeks back to prep for this conversation a little bit, you told me your uncle's story from his days as a millwright on Minnesota's iron range. And I, I just sat there thinking, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. And it's, a, it's, it's really interesting how it inspired you in your own career and journey. So I'd love for you to share that story with our listeners, if you're willing, because I think it's a great lead into the conversation we're about to have.
0: Yeah, I'd love to share that story as it's one of my favorites that I've told many times. And the story really goes, like you said, my uncle was working for one of the largest steel producers or iron ore producers on Minnesota's Iron Range in the 70s and early 80s. And he was working as a millwright and his role was to produce parts that would be used in the maintenance of equipment, big belt lines and such around the property. And when he came in one day, he pulled a work order that he had to do and he looked at it and went, approached his manager and said, hey, I've got an idea. On a change for this part that would likely increase the longevity and reduce the amount of downtime on a belt line moving between different areas of the facility. And his manager looked at him and said, Bill, I pay you to make parts, not to think. And I would appreciate it if you'd go back and do that. And so that was pretty impactful to hear. But what I took away from that in my career over time was I never wanted to be in that position, right? Every employee's got strengths. And I talked to you about my uncle a little bit more which highlights this even further. My uncle is able to build anything for with his hands, metal, wood, you name it. Very creative individual, a constant thinker. And in one sentence, it changed his career in perpetuity until he retired. In his own words, he said, after that day I never offered another another example or another idea to the organization because it was clear that they weren't valued. And so what I as like I told you, I took away from that, I never I was very young at the time. I was 23, working my first job as a CI specialist at a granite company. And that really hit me pretty hard and made me change the way I think about leading and has impacted all the way to now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's just you hear these stories and you think, what a waste when you think of all the resources and brainpower and experience and different skill sets that people inside your organization have. And, and then you see these top-down leadership approaches where it's kind of, nope, this is how we do it. And that's it. Right.
0: It carries on. Even like we talked before, it carries on to this day. Even when you step into a new organization, it may not be as dramatic as the conversation my uncle may have had. But as leaders, you have to be very cautious about the words that you use when you use them because they carry a lot of weight. right? And this individual that was speaking to my uncle was a foreman, a supervisor. The guy also was a millwright at one point in time. And that's the approach that he took. So There are still a lot of people in in our world in manufacturing, in the small to mid-sized manufacturers, where those approaches are still more common than than we like to believe. So as we step into those roles, into those organizations, we still have to work with those employees and convince them that that's not the approach that we're going to take.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Joe, I'm going to quote you from a recent article you wrote where you said, if you focus on implementing canned lean tools and you do what so many others have done you're likely to be disappointed it's critically important that you understand what your customers value understand how you create value and relentlessly improve the processes that support those value drivers can you unpack that one for us a little bit
0: yeah i'm going to take that in a, in a couple different ways right like i i think about any lean transformation or organizational transformation that needs to take place in there's an infinite number of places to start those journeys. It's still common today, even though we've been preaching for 15 years that tool-based approach to implementing lean or anything else just doesn't work. Unfortunately, that still happens. Right? We have companies that want to dabble or try lean, and they'll send a few folks out to a, you know, a workshop. They'll come back with ideas around 5s and visual management. They'll start putting those things into place, and things will look really good, right? The cleanliness, the organization, all those things look great. The challenges that often take months and months. And then as we review results, we're not seeing improved customer experience. We're not seeing improved financial experience within the... Or financial performance within the business. And so support will begin to wane. No matter how nice your shop looks, spending time for what can feel like window dressing starts to lose steam really quickly. And... Typically, what happens is those companies just had their first false start, right? Which is not uncommon. And that's where they often start is a tool based approach disconnected from customer value and company performance. So, like you mentioned, focusing on, on your customer, understanding what they value through collaboration with your, your commercial team or sales team and key customers. It's important to focus on key customers. You can't focus on all of them to, drive the transformation in your business, you need to understand your most valuable customers and what it is they're looking for. And the best part about that is when you realign or you start your tra- your transformation where your biggest and most important customers can feel it, the rest of your customers typically benefit from that as well. Even though you didn't spend the time focusing on them, they get a natural improvement from what you're doing to your business. And in order to get there, Identifying where you drive value, there's a, you know, some of us in the past that worked together coined a term, the key moments of truth. And that can exist in a manufacturing process or a service delivery process for a manufacturing company that might support the products that you produce, right? And what those really entail is what are the things that need to happen in a cycle, a sale, delivery, for your customer to essentially recommend you to a colleague or a friend, right? And so if you unpack a business, it might be something like confirm you have my order, confirm my lead time, let me know when my product has hit your manufacturing floor, say in the contract manufacturing space, confirm it's going to be on time, when did it ship, first-time quality. If you can answer six yes to all six of those, that customer is likely to be satisfied. Now, then comes the work, looking at your current processes, aligning them with what your customers are really looking for and starting to close those gaps. But the cool part with that is if you take the time to identify the key moments, look at your current performance to those key moments of truth throughout the process, and then get laser focused where you're failing your customer and you see that number start to move, whether it's OTD, first pass yield, whatever it might be, your customer is going to experience that and you can start to get a lot of momentum both internally and externally out of that type of an approach.
1: Yeah, I really like a lot of things that you just touched on here. I mean, the first one is the idea of focusing. And it's something I talk about in my world as a marketing and sales guy. Is When you, when you try to be everything to everybody or make everyone happy, you wind up just spreading yourself thin and accomplishing very little. And so I see that in the, on the business development front. I like to hear you talk about it on the operations side too, because I think a lot of companies waste a lot of their tr- time trying to Serve so many different types of customers who don't resemble each other, and they wind up realizing that they're they're throwing resources at companies that aren't even profitable. That they're sometimes even paying for the privilege to do business with, frankly, when it, when it comes down to it, because of the the man hours, the cost of the man hours exceeds what they're they're even being paid. And so you really need to, and then then there's a snowball effect. I think that happens when you start to focus on your you know being great for your best customers, because you know they you know, they become loyal to you, they become Referral partners for you to other companies who resemble them, and all of a sudden before you know it you're you're working with the right types of businesses who are actually profitable and you're developing deeper expertise serving them so a lot of good stuff there
0: yeah, it's like you said on the the business development side, sometimes it makes even more sense to focus right and then when you get within the operation side, it can get a little bit blurry because we've often already made a lot of commitments and things up front, so then how do you set up your operation to be able to take that up and be able to work in that world? So, for instance, in small manufacturers where let's say variability or customizability drives value for the customer, building to stock may not be the best plan. So, how do you create a production system that's accepting of rapid changeover, high velocity, many different products and rather than trying to figure out the inventory strategy to hold it right. So that's where it flows in. If your customers have a lot of variability and change their mind quite often, and they value that, you're going to want to look at your production system to align with the value your customers are looking for.
1: Yeah, that's a good build. Joe, in the same article, you talked about how your time at Landscape Structures gave you the opportunity earlier in your career to put customer listening into practice. And I'd love for you to talk about that experience a little bit.
0: An awesome transition because that's where I was just starting to touch on. Landscape structures is a really cool company. They made playgrounds, uh commercial playgrounds. So if you've got a kid and you go to a park or a niece or nephew, there's a good chance you're playing on one of theirs. And probably twenty years ago, step back a second, the the owners there that founded the company really changed the landscape of how playgrounds were designed as well from having separate swings and teeter-totters to bringing the playgrounds we know today all together as one. That was the concept of Steve King, who founded Landscape Structures. And with that, as they started putting out more and more different types of structures, they encouraged their customers to configure, request new things. And they were constantly reaching out through their distributor network saying, what do you guys want now? What do you want now? What do you want now? And over time, as the variability grew, Landscape, they were listening to their customers saying, we want more we want more. We want different. And landscape structures to this day is known as the the leader in new products and innovation within that industry. That created a problem, right? They had a manufacturing system that was a build the stock, finish good system. So as you can imagine, you build 200 well, in the industry, they call overhead ladders. We call those monkey bars. You might build 100 green ones and then 50 blue ones and then 20 yellow ones. That's cool if you have 3 or 4 colors you're dealing with. But when you have 30, that becomes very difficult to be able to build the inventory and afford the working capital to satisfy the variation your customer's asking for. So when you looked at the way landscape structures started their journey, it was not with 5S and those other things. It was the only way we're going to be able to reduce lead time from 32 days in manufacturing to literally 16 hours. Is by reducing setup batch sizes and changeovers. That's it. And they attacked that relentlessly for a few years before I even got there. And the results that came from that in both customer satisfaction, it freed up the product development team to do even more because they could trust the manufacturing system could spit it out and satisfy the customer no matter what the color, shape, no matter what. And so taking an understanding from the customer. The most important thing to them was configurability and options. And then working that all the way through their lean journey, where they started, what they focused on, it's still going there today. I haven't, I haven't been employed there in 10 years, but I, I talked to the folks and they're, they're still working that way. So, And the last piece I'll share with that is in terms of a vision statement that got us all behind it is something as simple as we're pursuing one sales order flow. We want to produce one sales order and then switch to the next one, and then switch to the next one. So it can continue to flow through our system. And so it was really easy as a new leader in the business when thinking about what are we going to change or how are we going to change it. Because if it brought us closer to one sales order flow, we knew we were moving in the right direction. So that was very helpful as well.
1: It's a really good example. I love that story for for a few reasons. You know, Something that I've talked a lot about a lot about recently had a hosted a, or one of our first conversations on clubhouse about for anybody on clubhouse about this topic, but customer interviews or, you know, customer listening in in general. And I think it's an overlooked step in, in the the marketing and sales process for a lot of companies, but also that, you know, something that impacts, as you've talked about, impacts R and D and operations. When you have a, process for on an ongoing basis to actually hear from the mouths of your customers and your prospects really but especially the people who are buying from you and then the right types of, of buyers. when you hear what they want, you learn so many things and especially when you have that conversation outside the context of a sales conversation. When they know you're, you're there to to listen and hear what it is they're trying to achieve, what problems they're trying to solve, what things they actually want. I think we operate under assumptions a lot of the time. And if we took the time to listen to our customers, so much you can learn.
0: Yeah, there is. And there's so many examples from Landscape and how they did that. And I was not involved in that at that point in my career. But there were that was a distribution network that sold that product. So there'd be select. You know, the, the key distributors that they, that had the, you know, probably the best intelligence, some of the better businesses, maybe provided more revenue to the business. They got a, they got listened to quite a bit and it was organized. It was information was captured in a way from those customers that it was actionable. Similar in my time at tenant company, having customers from the commercial side or industrial side or distribution side, having two or three days set aside with. Business development, product development, and others, in a formal way, to talk about what are those things that you're looking for down the road, one year, two year, three years, that can drive value for you. What do we need to be working on in the most general sense? And those, if facilitated correctly, right, can give you a quite a, a heads up on the operation side if you're paying attention as to what might be coming down the the pipe for you and what you might have to address, maybe not even next year, next month, but as a senior leader in the business, 2-3 to years down the road. right? Are customers' expectations shifting? Are they the same? Are they tweaking? It's important for the ops folks to get a seat at that table or at least an update to understand what we're hearing from our customers in an unfiltered way. And a direct seat at those tables is the best way to do it
1: yeah I agree with that and and I think what's important too is you is as you conduct more and more of these conversations with customers you'll start to identify trends or patterns and you know you said it earlier with with your landscape structures example where you know what the customer was looking for i think you said two things i remember you said one of them was configurability right like that was the underlying thing that mattered it wasn't that they wanted the the choice between you know we we like red overhead ladders right it it's 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 that you know, in general, configurability was was one of the key things,
0: right? They wanted their playground to be the unique to their com- community. We translated that into our world into configurability, right? Um, and what they really wanted is, I don't want my playground to look like the next town over, right? I don't want that one, <laughs> so had to translate
1: for sure. Well, let's shift gears a moment. I want to swing back around to kind of where we started, where we were talking about your, your uncle's story, but, and how that inspired you. But I know that another area of passion for you is the idea of a a people first leadership approach, which, you know, to me feels like it stems from the exact opposite of what your, your uncle experienced, unfortunately. But. What have you learned in your career and from your experiences that you can share with our audience about building around the strengths of your people to support continuous improvement rather than forcing people into roles that don 't fit their strengths
0: yeah I think i 'll give one quick quick snippet of where I learned about the importance of leading with strengths and understanding people first, and when I was at Cold Spring as a CI specialist for a couple of years, there was a very quiet engineer that pulled me aside after probably my 13th or 14th Kaizen event that I had led and was able to get a lot of good results. But then I noticed results were backsliding each time I go back into the facility. And he pulled me aside and said, you might want to change the way you approach leading the people on the project and the team that you leave behind. I said, what do you mean? He said, you get amazing results. but..." You do it while you run over the top of people, and you're not concerned about their own understanding or what they bring to the table. You're ensuring you get the results, and that's it. That will never work. That was really hard to hear because I'd seen myself as a driven, confident person, and what I was told really quickly is people are seeing you as a, you know, steamrolling over the top of them. Hence the story I told earlier, and so that hit me pretty hard at an early spot in my career. So I started looking very differently at. Understanding ahead of time, back even then, who's going to be on my Kaizen team, right? They're not people I even have met before. I want to know more about them. So I'd start talking to supervisors and others. What do they like to do when there's projects at work? Which ones do they pick up? So even early on, I was dialing into trying to figure out people before I met them. And fast forward to today, leading at multi source, I have five different manufacturing facilities with different leaders in each one. And here we actually help assess their strengths and identify things like, are you a pioneer? Are you a promoter? Are you a creator? What are the things you like to do? And so, what I've found is understanding what those strengths are, understanding how that fits into the bigger team without focusing directly on the results expected, which we still do, but really ensuring you've got the right person in the right spot and it's appropriate for your company. I'll give you an example. I have a plant manager in one of my locations that is, he was a CI director for 10 years. He did training, speaking, you name it. So when we have a big new program to kick off at multi-source, or if it's a program that requires a large amount of training or collaboration, such as launching A3 Thinking to frontline supervisors, John's my guy because he can do it. He can talk in front of everybody and he supports all five plants. Now if there's something that requires a ton of detail work, the strengths on my team there fall under a different individual. And so he'll take that type of work on. And so ensuring that you have the right person with the right strength in the right seat in the right mix on the team as well, which adds another layer, you can typically achieve results uncommon within your industry, I'll just say, in terms of improvement in a short amount of time.
1: What happens, Joe, when you... When run into a situation where you've got either the right person in the wrong seat or you realize i've got the wrong person i
0: think that usually comes up when i'll hear from a manager quite often everybody is resistant to change this entire team is resistant to change and so quite often i'll put back at them and say is it really the team that's resisting change or is it you resistant to leading change differently right Is it them or is it you? And let's talk about that. And so that's usually the first tip that we might have somebody in the wrong spot is the success or lack of success of the team is based on the team's unwillingness to do something different that the manager is asking them to do. Something's not aligned. And usually it doesn't start with the 12 to 15 folks. Um, Usually it starts somewhere else.
1: Well, Joe, is there anything we didn't touch on here that you'd like to add to the conversation today?
0: No, I think we talked about the strength and you know the strength of, strength-based approach to leadership. And I don't think that can go under discussed to understand what are those superpowers your team possesses because they're different quite often going all the way back to the beginning of our discussion. My uncle's superpowers weren't making parts for a mining company. He had superpowers in creativity. He was a creator. He could build anything at any time. Your business, our business, business of everybody listening. You know, anywhere from ten to three or four hundred folks that are helping solve problems for customers that have superpowers or strengths that are very different than what you expect. So encouraging your leadership team and putting a structure and systems in place to identify those and and put people in positions to leverage those while serving your customer. Again, I don't think that can go understated. So I, I kind of wanted to take a chance to, to go back at that a little bit.
1: That's a great way to wrap it up. I, I think that's, there's a one-liner that, that we'll highlight from this episode. Really good way to close it out. All right. Thank you. Joe, this was a really good conversation. I appreciate you doing this today.
0: All right. Well, thank you for the time.
1: Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and where they can learn more about multisource?
0: source? Yeah. You can get in touch with me in a few different ways. You'll find me on LinkedIn, Joe Molesky. There's not many of me around, so I'm pretty easy to find there. It's also jmolesky at multisourcemfg.com. And you can find out more about Multisource on LinkedIn as well or on our website, which is multisourcemfg.com.
1: Perfect. Well, Joe, once again, thanks for doing this today. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive.